This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. This is Chris Fenty of the Catholic Review. Welcome to the Easter edition of Catholic Review Radio. We will be talking today with Father Eric Arnold about the resurrection and evangelization. Father Eric Arnold is a priest of the Archdiocese of Baltimore and pastor of St. John the Evangelist Parish in Severna Park, Maryland. Father Eric completed his theological studies at the Pontifical Gregorian University, earning an STL in dogma. He was ordained in 1999 and has served in various parish assignments over the years. In addition to parish ministry, Father Eric has been actively involved in the work of evangelization, serving with Christ Life as a teacher and speaker, and with Ablaze Family Ministries as a member of its content advisor team. Thanks so much for being with us today. You're welcome, Chris. Great to be with you and to be with all of our listeners. Good. You know, when the gospel writers talk about the resurrection on Easter morning, there seems to be a sense of urgency and action. Matthew says the angels told Mary Magdalene to go quickly to tell the other disciples what she'd seen. Luke talks about Peter running to the empty tomb. And then the the people on the road to Emmaus go immediately back to Jerusalem after the Lord reveals himself to them. We see the same thing at Pentecost. Why is this sense of excitement so important? Mm, Yeah, That's that's a beautiful uh, like dimension of, of the gospel readings that, that you're drawing out there, because you're right, with Easter and with Pentecost, there is this, this great sense of urgency. And I think with both Easter and Pentecost, but I'll, I'll focus first on Easter, the, the impulse that they push out quickly to bring the good news out comes in large part because it was so unexpected. Even, even though the Lord had prepared his disciples for them, their hearts and their minds were not ready to receive it. And so when the Lord was raised from the dead, I think it it came to them as such a shock in in a good way that they they couldn't help but but want to get that news out quickly. But I think the other part of it, and this is probably the, the even more important part, is in each of those accounts of the Lord's resurrection, and then also at Pentecost, the event of the Lord's being raised from the dead and the event of Pentecost, it changed those who, who received and, and welcomed the, the power, the grace that flowed out from them. And so there was an urgency in those who were changed by the events that they, they simply wanted others to experience what they had experienced. So it wasn't just it wasn't just good news in terms of something intellectual. It was good news in terms of what it meant for their very lives. And that that's, a, I think, is what's behind a lot of that urgency that, that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about them being a part of that, having heard that news and been able to express it right away. We were at a distinct disadvantage from the early disciples because we did not get to see the resurrected Christ. We didn't get to eat fish with him along the shore or walk with him to Emmaus. How can we be sure so many years later that Jesus is risen? Well, I think for myself, like as you ask that question, it takes me back to my 
my own conversion or, or reversion to the church that happened at the end of college. I grew up Catholic, but it, it hadn't really made enough of an impact on me that I was living in a visibly different way as a, as a Catholic, as a Christian. And when the Lord started through different events in my life to kind of pretty quickly break into my life, one of the most important things for me was uh, getting pulled into a community of young adults, college age, like myself, but uh, peers of mine who could say to me very sincerely, my life is different now because of what Jesus has done for me. And you know that, that intrigued me. Um, I, I knew the church in, in like an institutional structured way. I knew the faith in terms of the stuff we were supposed to memorize growing up, but I hadn't really met anyone up to that point who could say to me, my, my life is different now because of, of the Lord. And so for me, I, I think my, my own coming back into the faith was, it, in a huge way, it was because I heard the testimony, the witness of others, and through their example and kind of how they helped me to grow in prayer, I, I started to experience in my own life very real, concrete changes that, that honestly, I, I could only attribute to the working of, of God's love and, and grace and mercy so it was a very personal thing. I came to believe that the Lord was risen from the dead because of the very things he was doing in my life. So it wasn't academic or just intellectual. It was an experiential thing that moved me where I, I, I couldn't doubt that he was alive and real because of what I saw and experienced him doing in my, my own life. He was alive and real in you. Yes, exa yes exactly. Yep. Yeah. Father Eric, when we look at some of those who made some of the first affirmations of Jesus's divinity, they were very humble people. The centurion who watched as Jesus dies on the cross and said, truly, this man was the son of God, Mary Magdalene, so many others. How can we use our humility to provide that same witness to Christ? I think there has to be first just that, that recognition of, of what the Lord is doing in our own life. And the, the, the big, the scary part of that for all, for most of us is that to let the Lord be at work, we, we have to be willing to yield space to him and to not just absolutely give up or to, to absolutely hold on to that control in our own life. You know, like I think about um, a lot of men and women who go through a different 12 step groups mm -hmm. and there's often uh, this moment where they hit rock bottom and like the 12 steps are, are so good and, and beautiful at, at acknowledging that very first step, we just have to recognize I am not able to, uh, to control and manage my, 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 my own life. And so there's a humility there that first lets the Lord in to be at work. And then I think there is like that, that second humility of just being ready to announce it to others and, and to share it, um, especially in our day and age, people um, are maybe not, the culture we live in is not as open to hearing that Christian message. And so there, there is a certain risk we take in, in bringing that out. I'm reminded of when you say that of a, a line from the movie Rudy, 
where uh, Rudy is a student and he's meeting with the, one of the, the chaplains at Notre Dame University in Indiana. And uh, the chaplain says, you know, in all my years of being a priest and teaching, I've learned two things definitively. There is a God and I'm not him. Yeah. So that idea of of saying I I accept I'm not in control, but there, there is somebody else who is. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and you know that it's such a simple point, and yet what you just said is at the core of our spiritual life. Um, that 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 basic recognition you see that with Peter, um, you know, the apostle playing out through the passion the promises that he made to the Lord and his guarantee that he would be with the Lord all the way, you know, to the end, only to be betrayed by his own weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And that kind of thing uh, has got to happen. Um, we, we see that in a lot of ways in the life of St. Paul as a raised as a Pharisee, his whole aim was to be good enough you know, to, to maintain and to live out the law uh, perfectly in order to, that he would be able to save himself. And the Lord really had to just strip Paul of that self-reliance that, that, that could easily be part of the life of the Pharisee, but is really easily a part of our life as well. We, we want to be in control and that just doesn't fit fully in, in our spiritual life. I know you give a talk on radical reorientation to Christ where you really focus on, on St. Paul as an example of that radical reorientation. Can you explain a little bit more what you mean by that in Paul, especially in terms of Paul? Sure, yeah. And um, so I'll, let me start with just, there's a, a great simple little line from the catechism on conversion that um, it says this, conversion is a radical reorientation of our lives toward God. And so the, the picture would be, you know, if my life is pointing in one direction, that the catechism says there, there needs to be a 180 where I reorient my life back toward, toward God himself. And that simple little definition is in the glossary of, of the catechism, but it, it's so good in its simplicity. So conversion is my life being redirected and aimed back toward God. Um, but what we see in St. Paul is that it, it actually is a threefold conversion. There's a threefold reorientation. And in the Acts of the Apostles, when Paul recounts his own conversion, uh, what happened to him on the road to, to Damascus, we see that in Paul's life, um, in that moment where he meets the Lord, Paul has to say to, to Jesus, who are you, sir? And, and he says, the Lord says very simply, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And so we see right off the bat, Paul doesn't even have a, a knowledge of, of who Jesus is. He has to ask, who are you? But the Lord begins to show Paul, and he will teach him deeply who, who he really is. But then beyond that, there's another radical reorientation, another conversion in Paul's life, which is a conversion to the church. And so Paul, who had been very self-reliant, the Lord, by blinding him, puts him in a place where he is utterly dependent on others. And I think this is the Lord preparing Paul for the place of the church, um, that salvation is not every man for himself. It's not just me finding my own way to connect with Jesus. I need the church. 
And so in that moment of his conversion, the Lord sends Ananias to Paul to baptize him. But Paul is utterly helpless. But it's through Ananias that Paul is baptized and then regains his sight. Uh, there, Paul is already being turned toward his need for the church. And so that's another part of that radical reorienting of Paul's heart. The final part, the conversion is to, to the life of mission, that, that Paul would be sent out by the Lord to bring that good news out to others. And so at the end of the account of Paul's conversion, we're told that Paul immediately goes out and begins to announce the good news in the synagogue. So it's a, a reorientation toward the mission of the church, which is evangelization. But in Paul's life, we see really beautifully that threefold reorientation or conversion. And there's that sense of urgency we talked about at the top of the show again. Exactly. After the break, we're going to talk some more with Father Eric Arnold about evangelization and Easter and Pentecost. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Vincent Quayle, a former Jesuit priest who passionately fought blockbusting, redlining, and other discriminatory practices in the real estate and housing industries in Baltimore, died March 27th. The founder of St. Ambrose Housing Aid Center in Baltimore and a longtime parishioner of St. Francis of Assisi in North Baltimore was 83. Soon after arriving in Baltimore as a Jesuit seminarian in the late 1960s, Quayle immersed himself in the community and became a key leader in fighting racial injustice in city housing. The New York native was involved in high-profile campaigns against unscrupulous realtors who scared white families out of their homes only to resell those houses to black families at inflated prices. Together with his friend, Monsignor Edward Miller, he also helped lead pickets against banks that would not offer fair lending to the black community. Quayle founded St. Ambrose Housing Aid Center in 1968 with seed money provided by Catholic Charities of Baltimore after visiting Shelter Housing Aid Center in London. He applied community education principles he learned in London to his work in Baltimore. With rising stature in the community, Quayle wrote several commentaries for the Catholic Review while still a priest. He also contributed to other publications. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm George Matisek. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. We're back on Catholic Review Radio, talking with Father Eric Arnold about Easter and spreading the gospel message. Father Eric, how did you end up so involved with the work of evangelization? It started, I think, my own openness to it came as a result of my own conversion. And so I have a really beautiful thing that the Lord did for me. Uh, toward the end of college, I had grown up Catholic, but didn't really own my faith in a way that it, that it was making a difference or that it was a source of meaning uh, or purpose for me. And I really thought that if I just threw myself into college life, that everything that the world promised was just going to be delivered. You know, we were, we're told when we're younger, follow the world and you will you'll have every bit of happiness and fulfillment and, and peace that you could imagine. 
only my experience, and I think most of our experiences, is it, it didn't come to, to be. Uh, by the end of college, I found myself very restless. I found myself wanting more than, than what college life and, and what the world could offer. Um, I had been dating throughout my first few years of college, but it had not found the, the, the deep, deep love that, you know, that my heart really longed for. So I was in this place of, of just restlessness. And as a college senior, I was getting ready to go to my, my senior year. It was a really scary thing to, to be thinking, gosh, I'm not even out of college yet. And I'm already questioning, you know, isn't there more to life than this? Um, shouldn't there be more? And that was really scary because I thought if I'm asking that question before I'm even finished college, what will it be like in 25 years? What if there's not an answer to that? And in the middle of all of that is where the Lord really started uh, to, to break into my life. And the most dramatic moment was in the middle of, of the summer between my junior and senior year of college, I, I was going to mass only because I was, I was living at home. My undergrad was at UMBC. I was studying computer science I was living at home and my dad kind of made it clear, um, if you're living at home and we're paying your college tuition and you're eating our food, or you should be going to mass. So I, I, I did that mainly because my dad had told me, like, I, I want you to keep going to church. But on this one particular mass, it was a Saturday evening vigil mass, and it was in July. I, it got to the point of, of communion time. I came out of the pew and got in line for communion. And at this point, I, I was so disconnected from the faith that I didn't even know or remember that we believe that the, that the bread and the wine become the body and the blood of Jesus. But that was just not even present in my, in my mind or my heart. I happened to be in line with the priest who was distributing communion. And when I approached him, before he gave me the host, he said to me, I want to talk to you after mass. And I thought, wait a minute, this, this isn't the way that it's supposed to go. You know, you say the body of Christ, I say amen, and I go back to my pew and we don't talk any more than that. Um, I thought I had done something wrong and he was, he was ready to, you know, to get after me about something. I didn't know what, but I waited around after mass and he greeted parishioners as they left. And then I kind of sheepishly went up to him and said, I, I'm the guy that you had wanted to talk to after mass. And so he said to me, before mass started, I was praying and I was asking the Lord, just show me who you want me to reach out to, show me who you want me to get for you. And he was gathering young adults to be part of youth ministry, a, a life team program that he had started at the parish. And he said, I just saw the Lord pointing down toward you. And so he was bold enough to say, I want to talk to you after mass. And from that, everything over the, the remaining weeks of that summer, he had started sharing with me the faith and it pulled me into this group of young adults that, that he had also kind of pulled into things. And so for me, that's what changed everything. Um, my my conversion unfolded very quickly over just a couple of months. But the fact that my life changed in this really dramatic way because this priest was willing to step out of his own comfort zone 
and reach out. That for me uh, really set a direction for my, I think from my own living out of the faith. I knew like if, if he was willing to reach out to me and share the good news in that way, and my life is all the better for it, who am I to, to keep that gift for myself? Like I, I have to be ready and willing to share that with others. And that reality led to the priesthood eventually, but it also led, I think, to, in my own heart, just having a very special place for, for this work of evangelization because of I was on the receiving end of it, and I, I the, the Lord just made it clear, you've got to share this with others. And that led to my, my connection with Christ's life, the Catholic ministry of evangelization that's here in Baltimore. It sounds like you had your own little tongue of fire uh, above your head during that mass when the when, when the, the priest was talking about that. Yeah, yeah I know. But Chris, you know what? That, that honestly, that, that is what the priest, Father Richard, had said. He said, I, I, saw, I saw the Holy Spirit on you. And I, I didn't share that, but you're exactly right. That is exactly what the Lord did uh, in that mm-hmm. moment with the priest. So, yeah. As we're talking about the Holy Spirit, in a recent audience in St. Peter's Square, Pope Francis called the Holy Spirit the protagonist of evangelization. And he said, without the Holy Spirit, we will only be advertising the church. You can't evangelize without witness, the witness of the personal encounter with Jesus Christ, the incarnate word in which salvation is fulfilled. He added, too, that the church must always be evangelizing herself, otherwise it becomes a museum piece. What do you think he means by all that? Well, I think... The, the first part that the, the Holy Spirit is the main actor, you know, protagonist or antagonist in, in, in evangelization. Um, yes, what, like we look at Pentecost and even though the disciples had been with Jesus for three years and they heard all of his teaching, they, they witnessed his miracles and all that he did. After his resurrection and ascension, the Lord told them, you're not ready to go out yet. Stay in Jerusalem and wait for the gift of the Father that I promised you, the, the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, what we learn in that, and it's happened in every single time of renewal in the life of the church, there's no evangelization without Pentecost. The church is only able to bring the good news out when she's set on fire with the, the love of God in the Holy Spirit. And every single great wave of renewal and evangelization in the life of the church is, is always preceded by this new outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So Pentecost is the, is the core, but then the Lord does it. You know, when John, John Paul II was Pope and he talked about a new springtime in the life of the church, that flowed out of that outpouring of the Holy Spirit that the church welcomed in the late 1960s and 70s and 80s through in what we talk about the charismatic renewal, mm-hmm. but it's, it was just, it was a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's what we just saw in the news at Asbury at, you know, at the Methodist college, the Lord just giving this great gift of, of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And from that flows the work of evangelization. Yeah. And I guess we're hoping that, that some of that also comes from the Eucharistic revival project that's now underway from the U S bishops and, and in our own archdiocese. Mm-hmm. How can we be evangelizers in our own homes, our workplaces, our communities? That is, it's a great question. A lot of people get hung up or get stuck. They're thinking that it has to be this overly complex thing. Early on at some point, I, I remember hearing a talk that has stuck with me where the, the whoever was preaching or giving the talk said this, the, 
the best thing that you that you can share with someone is this. What was your life like before you really came to know the Lord and his love for you? What was your life like before Jesus? And what is your life like after Jesus? And so, you know, like for myself, I think about, you know, what I what I can share with 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 high schoolers and with college students is, is look, my life before Jesus was I was searching for meaning and I, I, I was experiencing, I'm sure, some level of depression, thinking like, isn't there more to life than this? There was a fear that it was all up to me to find meaning and purpose in my own life. I can talk about what life was like that way before the Lord. And then I can talk about the joy that, that came from, from coming to know the Lord and drawing close to him and learning how to pray. The joy that came from experiencing his voice speaking to me in scripture and his coming to me in the sacraments, like everything about my life was radically different after coming to know the Lord, but there was a visible peace, a purpose and a joy that I did not have before that encounter with him. So I would say to anyone, just look at your life and ask that question. What, what, was, what was my life like before I met the Lord? What is my life like now? And I, you know, I, I love the chosen. I love, I love that series. But there's that beautiful line from Mary Magdalene in the Chosen, where she basically says that same thing. She mentions, you know, what what life was like before, how different she was after, and she said, and what came in between was him, was Jesus, and that I think is is probably the most practical starting point. That's excellent, and a and a good way for us to think about Easter and the, the coming Easter season and Pentecost. Thank you so much. We've been talking today with Father Eric Arnold about Easter and about how to spread the good news. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Chris. This is Christopher Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Review Radio. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow The Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.